Gray, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today we are discussing books that we couldn't put down, whether that means we read it in one sitting or stayed up past our bedtime to finish it. Uh, Just that feeling of you don't want to be doing anything else but reading that book. So this is a fun topic, I think, um, because it, it feels a little special when there's a book that makes you feel that way. That's the best feeling. <laughs> I love you, it. How, how often do you feel like you have this experience? Uh, not very often. I, I think so much of it depends on the style of book, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and for having said that, I did not include... My, the thing I thought of first is a thriller right. where, or like a psychological suspense where you're just like, oh my gosh, what, what's the twist to this? And especially post Gone Girl, that mm-hmm. became such a standard way of writing books. And I didn't include any of those. And so, so I don't, I, I thought I would have more of those, but yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't happen as often as for as, maybe because I am such a big reader it doesn't happen as often because I am easily like it takes something pretty special for me to have that experience. Um, but even even like it, in high school and stuff, I don't remember having a lot of I truly can't put this down because it's so compulsive. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but that's but that makes me enjoy it, I think, more because it's such an exciting it's it's like an emotion I don't right. it's a rush I don't right. get that often so how about you do you do you feel like it happens more often as a big reader or a or no think I think it's... I think what you're saying is probably reflected in my reading too I tend to read a lot of books in one sitting just because I read yeah. a lot in big yeah, chunks yeah. so I spend Sundays tend to be a day where I stay at home mostly and in the afternoons, I'll just sit and read all afternoon. So there are a fair number of books I would say that I read by the definition of in one sitting, in one sitting. But I think in this case, we're trying to capture the feeling of wanting to right. finish it in one sitting versus the actual act of finishing it one sitting. Right, right, right. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I still certainly do. I think those are the books that end up being in the top of my top 10 each year and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's, it's certainly not every book I read. I do think certain genres lend themselves more to that kind of reading experience. Like you said, thrillers, I think really do because the formatting tends to pull you through the story in that way. What happens next? What happens next? And mm-hmm. then there's some romances that sort of feel that same way. So, but yeah, I think that it's always a, it feels like a unique experience when I have that. I have had it a few times already this year, which I think, I feel like I'm having a really good reading year. I don't want to, I don't want to jinx it, but I do feel like I'm having a really good reading year this year. And I've had multiple books that have given me this feeling of, I kind of don't want to be doing anything else other than reading the book. Or when I'm not reading the book, I'm thinking about the book. Yeah. I think that's a good sign too of a book that makes you want to. Yeah, you can't wait to get back to it. (sighs) It's such a good feeling. It is such a good feeling. All right. Well, I don't know that we have that much more really to to go in depth about. The I think most readers probably recognize what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and so let's give our examples of the books that made us feel that way. Cool. Um, so I tried to kind of think of it in the sort of the three things that we've put forth as, as the couldn't put it down, mm-hmm. read past our bedtime, and 
had to read all in one sitting. Mm. And so I, I tried to pick examples of, of those experiences for me. Um, so the first book I'm going to talk about is Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. And this is one of my absolute favorite books. I, I know I talked about it in an episode of my favorite books of the year mm-hmm. um, when I read it several years ago. And it has has uh, stood up to that. I still consider it one of my favorite books. So it is set in Victorian London, and it's about a young woman named Sue Trinder who is an orphan. And she grew up in a slum south of the Thames and was raised by a woman named Mrs. Suxby, who is basically the head of a den of thieves. And all of the people in this this group are not related but they basically form a family together and they each have their own specialty scam and they're called i I can't remember if they call themselves fingersmiths or that's just the name for a thief at the time so one of the thieves is called gentleman and he is respected he has that name because he grew up wealthy and refined and he has sort of kept that uh, those mannerisms and so he asks sue to help him with an elaborate con that is Uh, basically that he will be posing as an art teacher for a rich young woman named Maud Lily at the country house where she lives with her uncle. And he wants Sue to pose as a lady's maid to help facilitate uh, a seduction of Maud so that he can marry her and then put her in 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 an asylum once he has like legal the legal like like right to do whatever he feels like because she's a woman um and then in the meantime he and sue will take her inheritance sue will get a cut of this so sue agrees and she she goes to this estate and she's surprised when she gets there at how much her feelings change when she meets Maud because she actually begins to pity her instead of seeing her as as a uh, mark and um she's very very isolated she lives with an uncle who's very cruel and very uh there's there's no emotional feelings um at all between the two of them between Maud and her uncle and so sue becomes really her only companion and they because they both are there essentially alone and their feelings for each other intensify um pretty rapidly so you have all this tension in the book that that really ratchets up through the first half because you have tension between sue and gentleman as they're getting closer to the goal and sue is having second thoughts and gentleman is is furious about those things and then there's the sexual tension between sue and maude and then there's also the con and whether that will work and that causes a lot of tension too um and so then it continues and then you get to a point in the book where you realize there is so much going on that you didn't know about and it's completely unexpected and I don't very often have moments when I read where I gasp out loud and like sort of put the book down in shock Mm -hmm. but this happened multiple times when I was reading this so um oh it's so good I love it so much um and I love Sarah Waters generally because she's an author who takes deep themes like the powerlessness of women during the Victorian era but makes them intensely plot heavy so um another book of hers that's a favorite of mine is The Little Stranger which is doing similar things where it's a ghost story but it's really about class structures in England after World War II but she so she takes something that feels dense and makes it just propulsively readable because it's it's it has a lot of world building and the language is is not it feels a little bit of its time like it feels like a a Dickens novel Mm -hmm. to some degree but there's just so much going on in it and and the plot is so addictive that you're 
you're just racing through it. So um, it's a really big book. So it isn't something that I could def- I couldn't read it in one setting if I wanted to. But um, but this is one that kept me up so late past my bedtime because I just could not believe the the trickery mm-hmm. of this book <laughs> on my mind. It is so good. And that is Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. I want to read more Sarah Waters. I've read yeah. one book by her, I think, but I want to read more. Fingersmith being one of them. I have not read that one yet. Yeah, there's. I haven't read all her books. She When I was doing my my read all the books by a favorite author mm-hmm. project right. that uh, got derailed pretty quickly right. by COVID uh, and then a committee, uh, she was she was not on my list that year, but she was someone that I thought that's someone that will be in yes. future years yeah. because she's every book of hers I've read. I've just loved, loved, loved. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. My first one is Rock, Paper, Scissors by Alice Feeney. And first off, you just need to know that this book is bonkers. Like that don't expect (laughs) any realism in this book. You have to just completely suspend your disbelief. You can't apply logic to this book. I think if you do, you're going to be sorely disappointed. (laughs) However, I truly, and sometimes I do get caught up in that. I will freely admit that depending on my mood, depending on the book, sometimes I read something and I think, well, this is ridiculous. Like This would never happen. And I don't like the book. But in this case, for some reason, I think just the writing style and the, the propulsion of the story didn't allow me to stop and think about it. I just read mm-hmm. it and I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I couldn't put it down. I think that the less you know about this book, the better. So I'm just going to give the very bare bones minimum of a description about the very beginning of the book and that's it because I think to give too much away is to take away that sense of oh my gosh I can't believe that happened or what's Mm going to happen next right so I'm but I do want to give just a little hint of what it's about because I think it you can tell right from the description that it's going to be this kind of book that you want to find out what happens so it starts with a couple who are in a car driving from London to the Scottish Highlands in a snowstorm, I believe. It's a a bad storm, but I think it's a snowstorm. And they're both miserable. It's clear from the description right right from the get-go that they're not happy in their marriage. And you get the sense, and I think one of them, this is one of those books that switches perspectives, so you get both of Mm -hmm. their perspectives. And you get the sense, at least from one of them, that they're going away for their anniversary for the weekend and that they are looking at it as an opportunity to end their marriage. And that doesn't necessarily just mean ending it by divorce. <laughs> it means ending it whatever way oh my they gosh. can end it. So they get there. I think the wife has won this weekend away in some sort of raffle at work. So they just, this isn't something that they sought out and found a place to go. It's like they were given this place. So they show up and it's this old kind of dilapidated church and it's cold and drafty and the electricity keeps flickering on and off and there are all these locked doors. It just feels like a kind of creepy place to spend the weekend. Mm-hmm. But there's a very nice note from the caretaker of the home, and the caretaker has also left like a fire burning. So it feels like they're trying to make it a little bit more cozy, but it's definitely a, kind of a creepy setting for this book. But at the same time, it seems like maybe the caretaker is spying on them through windows. <gasps> so there's just this <gasps> overwhelming sense of 
dread and tension and there's this tension in the marriage and there's this tension of the place and there's this tension of the caretaker and then they've brought their dog with them and their dog runs off and so at that point the story really kind of picks up speed because as they're looking for their dog they kind of stumble on some stuff and I just again this was one of those books I could I do I do think I actually literally sat there and read this in one sitting because I remember moving from a chair where I was sitting to our kitchen table with the book in my hand to eat lunch or dinner or something and just <laughs> sat there as I was eating, just reading, 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 because I just wanted to find out what happened next. It was one of those books that, as I mentioned, switches perspective. And to my memory, it had kind of short chapters, and lots of cliffhanger endings to each chapter. So it just pulls you through the story and lots of twists and turns again suspend your disbelief with this story <laughs> but i i couldn't put it down so that is rock paper scissors by alice feeney i lo- i was thinking i love i love like short chapter books but then i was like no there's so many terrible short chapter books uh-huh. where you're like oh this is this isn't this is manipulative uh-huh. the way they're doing this but when you get one where it really is doing yeah. it's like hitting the spot yes. it's so satisfying yes. to get the the like oh my gosh that that just a half a page that made me keep going i know so this is we read this in my book club and the reason i'm i'm really underlining the point about suspending your disbelief is several people in my book club did not like this book but they were trying to apply logic to it and i said you can't do that you just have to go with it yeah (laughs) all right what's your next one uh a downer oh <laughs> so, changing changing speed uh it's monster by walter dean myers and uh this is the first winner of the prince award and oh. so i i read this a couple of years ago because i was trying to sort of read um uh some some classics that were not of the typical canon but more of like there, there's a lot of discussion at the time. It probably was was 2020 of decolonializing the the canon, and so I was looking for books that were classics of by people of color that were not things that you typically see in a curriculum, but um, but should be read more widely. And so this was one where I thought, oh, I really should have read this book by now. So I listened to it all in one afternoon because it's extremely fast moving because it's written like it's uh, not the entire thing. I, I don't think is written like it's in a movie script, but but big parts of it are are um, are written in that format. So it's about a 16 year old boy named Steve Harmon who is on trial for murder. Um, and what happened was a Harlem drugstore owner is is shot and killed. And Steve was part of the the crime um, potentially as a lookout. So he is claiming innocence that he did not do this. And he, but when he's in the trial, the only way that he can make sense of what's going on around him is to think of it as a movie and because he is an aspiring filmmaker. And so he is trying to cope with this really horrific situation. So, and, and that's, that's the way his brain works. And so he writes things down, like he's framing a scene and um, has the, the transcripts for the, the trial written in ways that, that indicate like, like it's a screenplay. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so as this, as he's explaining what happened and 
the events that brought him there and the events in his life that have uh, contributed to him getting to this point, he also is is describing the trial itself. And so it just has this very, I mean, obviously cinematic because that's what it's uh-huh. uh, trying to do specifically, but it's, but it's just, it makes it into this very almost disconcerting way of reading it because you you're seeing things from the way he's he's presenting them but it's also through this filter of the movie element to it as well and so you realize you don't really know what is what happened Mm -hmm. and you and i remember ending the book and thinking i really need to read this again knowing how it ends and see what i can find from the from what like if there are clues of how it was leading to that point um, because, because I was really shocked by the ending. And so um, it's, it's a pretty heartbreaking book because things have not changed. I think this came out in, I want to say 98 or 99 Mm -hmm. was the first Prince award and um, not much is different. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it was really hard to read. I remember uh, in that context, especially I think it was it was summer of 2020 and and so it was even more uh upsetting at that time if I if that's if my memory is is right on when I read it but um it's a really moving book and it's really the I it felt so innovative and I don't know that um because narrative structure has is imitating this book we see a lot more of this type of thing now than than I think we probably did in the mid 90s or late 90s and so um it was, it was really, I, I keep using the word moving, but that's, that's how it felt to see this is this book that was so groundbreaking for its time and, and won this, this award and, and just is very, feels very essential reading mm-hmm. to, to anyone who is interested in, in young adult literature. So um, that is Monster by Walter Dean Myers. Yeah, that's a good one. There was a, The Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Yeah, I thought about doing that one too. An audio book one where I, listened. I had the same yeah. experience with. I just read it one, yeah. one afternoon. All right, mine is Until You, my next one is Until You by Judith McNaught. So I think, I mean, I'm almost positive. I've talked many times before about I discovered romance novels in high school. And that's because somebody handed me one. It was uh, The Knight in Shining Armor by Jude Devereaux. And I read it and loved it. And so then she handed me Whitney, My Love by Judith McNaught. And that sent me down a rabbit hole of reading all the (laughs) Judith McNaught I could get my hands on. And Judith McNaught, for those of you who don't know, she doesn't write anymore as far as I know. But she was... one of, if not the biggest author of romances in the 80s and 90s. She wrote these big, chunky historical romances and then a couple of very popular contemporary romances. And when you read them now, they don't necessarily hold up to our modern sensibilities, I will say that. But when I read them at the time, I had just never... I was always a big reader. I loved reading from the time I was very, very young. But those are the books that felt like the first books as reading more as an adult level, at an Mm -hmm. adult level that really sucked me in and just made me love reading like that. Just, Just couldn't put it down. So... I could actually probably talk about any of the Judith McNaught books here, uh, but I'm using this because I have a very particular memory of reading this. So I was probably 15 or 16 when I was reading these, and it was spring break, 
and I was going on spring break with just like I was going on spring break with my parents to the beach. And looking back now, that's a lovely place to go and and get to do with your parents. But when I was 15 or 16, I wanted to be with my friends. I didn't necessarily want to just hang out with my parents for the week. So I brought along several books and I remember, so I'm at the beach, right? I sat inside <laughs> our, oh my the place where we were staying. Now this is March in South Carolina in Hilton Head. So it wasn't necessarily super warm it it, I I don't recall really what the weather was like but still (laughs) I sat on the couch literally all day from morning until late afternoon probably reading this book because it just sucked me in and I couldn't put it down Judith McNaught writes very emotional emotionally involving angsty romances where the men are kind of all terrible, but then they come around at the end. I don't know. It's just, it was just the prime kind of reading for me as a teenager. So this one is about a woman named Sheridan Romley, who is a teacher. It's such a great I know. romance. Wait, wait until you hear this promise. And it's so good. So Sheridan Romley is a teacher and she is hired to escort one of her students across the ocean from the U.S. to England because her charge is engaged to some fancy person in England. And before they ever get there, the student runs off and elopes with somebody. And so Sheridan is completely stressed out about how she's going to tell this fiancé that she has misplaced this girl and that she's going to get in trouble. This is what she was hired for. So she's just frazzled about this. So she arrives in England. And at the same time, there's a man on the docks who is meeting the boat, who is there to tell the young girl who's engaged that he has accidentally been involved in the death of her fiance. Oh my gosh. So you have these two people who are prepared to give bad news to the other party. And as Sheridan is walking down the dock towards him, she is trying to think of what to say. And he immediately assumes that she is the fiance, that she's the young girl who's there to marry this guy. So he starts talking to her. She doesn't have a chance to tell him the truth. And she gets knocked out by a net of crates from the boat that are unloading from the boat. And she gets knocked out. And when she wakes up, she is in this man's house. He's an earl, by the way. Oh, my god! She gosh. wakes up in her house with no memory of who she is. <laughs> and everybody is treating her like she is this society, wealthy woman. Because they all are assuming she's the girl who ran off. And she has no idea who she is. It is bonkers. <laughs> Yeah, ridiculous premise. Uh, that sounds exactly like the kind of book you're going to ruin your parents' <laughs> spring break plans for. <laughs> of course, it's a love story, ultimately. Uh, so you can guess where it goes. But, oh my gosh, I just truly, all I can remember about this book is how absorbed I was by how much I just didn't want to put it down. And again, I think I could probably pretty much swap out any Judith McNaught book at the time for 
the same story. Like, I mean, I just, that's how I felt about those books at the time. And I reread a few of them a few years ago, and some of them held up a little bit better than the other ones, but I don't recall it having that same feeling a few years ago. Although I still yeah. found them pretty compulsively readable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for that, I think the I think a lot of romance readers have that story of those original romances they read that just sort of grabbed them and didn't let them go. And this one is uh, one of them for me. So that is Until You by Judith McNaught. That's a great story. <laughs> Especially because I know your parents. And so the idea of like them doing this nice I know. trip and you're all surly reading romance novels on the couch is really great. I love my parents. I truly do. I, I don't think I was an awful teenager, but I do remember that just feeling like, no, I'll just sit over here on the couch and read my, read my romance novel. Uh, all right. What's your last one? Um, so my last one is kind of a similar story because it is the first book I had of, of that can't put it down experience. And so I, I, picked and then there were none by agatha christie mm-hmm. and even though it's super famous i i couldn't have this episode and not mm-hmm. draw attention to the book that that did that that um that evoked that feeling so strongly in me for the first time so when i read this i was a freshman in high school and i literally couldn't put it down and if you read this book you understand why because it is it's completely confounding it's like it's the greatest mystery ever written so I remembered that I was supposed to be doing my math homework which I didn't I had to work really hard at math in in high school I was I was good at it but because I put a lot of effort into it and so I was I was should have been putting effort into my math homework but instead (laughs) I was racing through this book trying to find out who the murderer was because I it's it's just such a uh it's such a puzzle there this is the ultimate puzzle mystery to me and um if you knew me in high school you would know how unusual it was for me to shirk my responsibilities of schoolwork because i was extremely dutiful and, and extremely afraid of authority and so i uh i was um being being very unlike myself by by needing to get through this book but it it set a precedent that i'm proud to have kept up of not doing things I'm supposed to do for the sake of books. So um, this mystery is is one of the ultimate classic mysteries. It's one of Agatha Christie's only standalone mysteries, and it's considered her masterpiece, and it is the best-selling mystery of all time, and it's one of the best-selling books of all time. So that is a lot of praise that mm-hmm. um, shows how much of an influence this book has had um, on the mystery genre. So it is structured around the children's nursery rhyme, Ten Little Indians, and um, the book originally had a different title, which I'm not going to say, but it was extremely racist. And so thankfully, the uh, later editions of this book has, have changed details of the story to um, be less racist than, than the original was. Um, so eight people have been invited for different reasons to a remote island off the coast of England. And some are there as potential employees of, of the owner and some are there of as guests of the host who is is named mr owen and they're all greeted by the butler and the housekeeper and they are they sit down to dinner and they see in the middle of the table that there is a set of 10 uh figurines of of little indians that um are are there but the host isn't there and so instead of um there's they're waiting for the host and then he doesn't show up but they hear a recording 
begin to play that accuses each person it's a spoken voice that accuses each person of a different crime that's that's there at the table so um they're very confused by this and and think this is just a, a big practical joke and this is really strange but they're also really shaken up because they all committed these crimes and they know that they did so um but they all go to bed but soon members of the party begin to die in ways that are similar to the nursery rhyme so um one of them there's a, a bee that's mentioned and and someone is stung in a way that that is uh looks like a bee but it's a poison injection and so there's everything harkens back to this this nursery rhyme and so what's creepy is that as this as they die one of the figures from the table disappears and so someone is clearly staging this and that i remember was so intensely creepy to me that the figure would would disappear that, that that's a big part of why this was so compelling to me so there's no way to access the island there's no way on onto the island there's no way off of the island and there's no one else that's supposed to be there besides the house guests so there's just this this intense um pressure that's mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. for for all these people um because this is such a classic, it has been copied billions of times. So many times. So many times. It's been parodied so many times. If you've ever watched Clue, this is yes. essentially um, the the reason that Clue exists. Um, so I don't think that there are people who are... I think there are many of, of our listeners who have probably read this book. But if you haven't, if you've ever thought, I need a really good mystery, maybe you're not a natural mystery reader this is the one to go with because it is the original and it's the best and it's my favorite mystery of all time. And it is perfect. And that is, and then there were none by Agatha Christie. You know, it's funny. I don't know that I've ever read this. I have <gasps> read, I know, I know. I have read so and watched so many other adaptations of it. It almost feels like I've read it, but as you were describing mm-hmm. it, I thought, I don't actually know if I've read this. Yeah, you should read it. And adaptations are not, they finally did one in the like 2015-ish era, somewhere in there, that I thought was was good, that was a longer, uh, Mm -hmm. like a three-part adaptation. But all of the ones before that are pretty terrible um, and change the ending drastically. And, but I do have a very strong memory of being at my grandmother's house as a kid and either she was... I don't remember I don't remember the circumstances but it was it was either on TV or they were watching a a movie of it mm-hmm. and I remember the it was the 40s adaptation and I remember the the creepiness I didn't watch the whole thing I didn't mm-hmm. know the ending of it but I did have a strong memory of seeing the characters realizing that the figurines were gone and how much that scared me as a kid mm-hmm. to, to, and like that delicious, but in a delicious way right. of like, oh my gosh, that's so creepy. And so then when I read this, I don't think I knew at the time, I must've been like seven or something when, when I saw that, I didn't put together what, what, um, what the the name of it was. Right. And so then when I read the book and I was like, oh, oh that's, that's what that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like this great uh, kind of muscle memory of, of, or like emotional muscle memory of of how exciting that was. So um, yeah, you should read it. It's yeah, great. I need to. All right. My last one is River Sing Me Home by Eleanor Shearer. And this one, I was trying to think of something relatively recent that I had read that had given me that feeling since I did mention I had, I've had a really good reading year and I actually could have picked from 
I don't know, a whole bunch of books this year that have made, given me this feeling. But this one I feel like is kind of under the radar. So I thought I would talk about mm-hmm. this one. This one was a book of the month club pick. And I'm part, I do book of the month. And I really knew nothing about it. It's a gorgeous cover, which I will admit I am swayed by gorgeous covers. <laughs> and I, w- I like to do something... When I do a book of the month, I like to pick something maybe that I don't know as well because I think that's the benefit to me of book of the month because I do pay a lot of attention to what's coming out. And so sometimes it's fun to be surprised by what's what's available. So that's the reason I picked it. And then I was just so pleasantly surprised by what, what I got. It is historical fiction. It is set in the 1830s. And it is about Rachel, who is an enslaved woman or excuse me, before the story starts, she was an enslaved woman. And she's on a plantation in Barbados. And emancipation has come to Barbados, but it doesn't look significantly different from the time before. And Rachel is now what's considered an apprentice, which means she is still obligated to stay on the plantation, basically doing the same work she was doing when she was enslaved. And really not much has changed even though it's it's sort of the perception is that slavery has gone away it hasn't really i mean they they're basically in the same situation that they were before she is 40 i believe and throughout her her life she had five children who were all sold off from where they lived to go elsewhere to be slaves so rachel has pretty much had enough at this point And she escapes from her plantation and she decides she is going to go seek out each of her five children to find out what became of them. Because she doesn't know once once they left, that was it. She never was able to communicate with them. She was never able to learn what happened to them. And it's it's really brought her a lot of heartache and grief, as you would imagine. Uh, I mean, just, yeah, it's, it's hard to imagine being in the situation she's in. So she leaves and she decides she's going to go find them. Um, So we follow Rachel as she tracks down each of her children or attempts to track down each of her children. And it takes her throughout the Caribbean, basically, to different different places in the Caribbean. So I part of the reason I think I liked this book as much as I did was because I just don't know much about that time period in that area of the world. So I learned I learned something. And then it's it's not often I would consider this, you know, it's historical fiction, but it's it's hard sometimes to differentiate between historical fiction and literary fiction. And I, I don't usually consider literary fiction to be something that I can't put down or I read in one sitting. You know, you, some, usually something you kind of have to savor a little bit. Sometimes language can be a little bit more complex or a little bit more difficult. But in this case, the way the story is told, it almost had that sense of a thriller. I mean, it's not a thriller in any way, but just that sense of, what's going to happen next? What's she going to find next? And and she has escaped. She's fleeing from something. So there is that underlying tension of, will she be discovered? Will she be caught, basically? And what would happen? And, and there's that sense of what happened to each of her children. It's kind of a mystery for that. So I think that that was what made me just want to sit there and keep reading and reading and reading because... I felt very emotionally invested in in her and her story. It also had that compelling forward movement of 
you want to find out what happens next. So this one is a little bit of an outlier for me. Like I said at the beginning, genre fiction, I think, falls really well into this category of wanting to not being able to put it down. Um, But this this gave me the exact same feeling. And that is River Sing Me Home by Eleanor Shearer. That sounds really good. I don't I need to look at the cover of that one because I don't remember hearing about that yeah. one. But often I can remember covers better than I remember. Yeah, uh, it's her de- titles. Yeah, it's her debut novel, I believe. Okay, well, we will be right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? Um, I am reading a book that I probably will regret for using for this segment because I really love it and I may want to use it for something <laughs> like an actual topic thing. But nevertheless, I already wrote my notes, so I'm committed. It, it is always a conundrum, isn't right? it? Sometimes yeah. you want to save it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty dumb sometimes. So um, I'm reading Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett. And I just am loving it so much that I wanted to talk about it. Uh, it's set in the first years of the 20th century, like 1904 or something mm-hmm. like that. I can't remember exactly. And I did not bother to look because <laughs> I'm extremely lazy right now. Um and it is written as a research journal of a Cambridge professor named Emily Wilde, who is a young faculty member studying fairies. And she is absolutely brilliant. She is a scholar. She is more knowledgeable probably about the the um, various populations of fairies in the world than anyone else. But she is not popular within the department because she just doesn't have the ability to schmooze with people. And she... Uh, just basically wants to her, wants to do her research and be left alone, unlike her colleague Wendell Bambleby, who is just <laughs> charm personified. <laughs> right? It's a great name. <laughs> and so he he has a name. He has a, a personality that matches his name, where he's just bubbly and charming, and just is beautiful to look at and uh he is super successful in his career because of those qualities but he's not nearly as talented as emily is and he basically gets grad students to do everything for him so she has a lot of resentment toward him but he also is kind of her only friend in the in the department because he's sort of impossible to avoid in that sense so um she starts to journal um she makes this journal on her way to a remote nordic island called rothsvik and uh it basically when i was reading it i was like this is supposed to be essentially iceland or the faroe islands culturally um it's all the language is kind of cribbed off of that so she goes to study their their local fairies and she wants to include them in an encyclopedia of fairies that she considers her masterpiece and will finally get her the recognition that she deserves so when she gets there the margin the the locals are only marginally friendly to her and she just isn't good at warming up to them and she doesn't care and she only wants to concentrate on her field work and so she uh just doesn't she isn't playing the game essentially and she's really excited about what she's finding there but then Bumblebee just shows up and tries to take over everything and has a proposal that if they work together this will go a lot better and she's furious because she knows that he's going to take over the entire thing but make her do all the work but she knows that his name will get her published and so she agrees to this 
of course, he charms everyone immediately and everything starts to go a lot better. And she realizes that she'll be in a better place to, to do the research she wants to do. But she's she's pretty angry about it. But she also realizes that there's another reason that he's here at this at this location and that she has to figure out what what that reason is as the story goes on she realizes that the village is at the mercy the mercy of a group of fairies that have been stealing people more often than is normal um it's something that they kind of expect to some degree for being close to fairies Mm -hmm. but um but it happens really often at this village and so she and wendell have to figure out why rothsmeek is so important to to the fairy population there it's just such a lovely book it it just it's goofy in certain ways um bumblebee is just such a goofy character but he's so charming and you you are you completely understand these characters you understand what their motivations are and what their why people are drawn to them or or expelled from them mm-hmm. in in ways that that uh, isn't done all, always as well mm-hmm. in in books where where it's just it's completely clear you you feel like you're one of the villagers and you're seeing this entire thing mm-hmm. so it has um the, like a really great sense of place too and maybe because i just love nordic stuff i'm ultra drawn to it but i think i think it, other people have have felt mm-hmm. the same way the terrain is really is is drawn really vividly um, and the way that that everyone plays off each other is just it's so much fun to read so uh i've kind of been drawing this one out probably a little bit more than i should be uh-huh. for committee reading but it's because i'm loving it so much and that is emily wilde's encyclopedia of fairies by uh, heather fawcett yes this one is on my list there's somebody i follow on instagram her instagram handle is mary reads and sips and she read this right at the end of 2022 and just raved about it i think it made her top 10 of the year and uh, at right as soon as she was posting about it, I thought, this is the kind of fantasy that I like. And I thought, yeah. uh, oh, you would love this I one. I would like it. So, yeah, I need to move that up the TBR pile. Yeah. All right. What I'm reading this week is Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club by J. Ryan Stradle. And this is high on my list. Is it? Well, speaking, I was going to say, speaking of Instagram, this one is everywhere right now on my Instagram. Uh, I follow a lot of book people who talk about what they're reading and and a lot of people either have read this or are in the process of reading it. It just came out a week or so ago, I think. So what's interesting though about this to me is that everything I've heard about this book talks about how it's it's about a married couple and the husband, his, his family owns a very successful restaurant chain and then the wife's family owns a, a supper club, which is, a, I guess, a Midwestern thing. It's not something I was familiar with before I heard about this book. But it sounds sort of like a homey single restaurant. Like, it's not a restaurant chain. It's just one restaurant where the locals come and it's a lot of camaraderie and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and so everything I heard about this book is that there's this conflict between the husband and the wife because of their family's legacies like who's going to end up like they're competing right there's one that's Mm -hmm. a successful chain restaurant and then there's this singular supper club and and which which person between the husband and the wife is going to end up pursuing their family's legacy but it's and it is that's part of the story I mean that's sort of the framing of the story I would say are these these two restaurants situations 
but the story is so much more than that and and it's been uh such a sort of revelation as I've been reading it that it's gotten got so much more to it it's almost like a family saga because Mariel who is the wife in this scenario her mother about half or maybe not half of the story but some of the story is from her perspective of growing up and she is it starts when she's 12 or something in like the 1930s or 1940s and so you see her growing up and and how the separate club came into their lives their family and then you see Mariel and and where she is and then you see Ned who's the husband and his family and how he grew up so it's really more multi-dimensional than I expected it to be based on these descriptions and it's it's just a really well-rounded kind of full story about um it's about a lot actually it's about like parenthood um particularly being a mother and it's about your expectations in life and what happens if your life's path doesn't follow what you thought it was going to there's there are some things in this book that are very sad I will say I will give people a warning because I was not prepared that there are going to be some very, very sad parts of this book because it follows these people over a long stretch of time. And so just like any life, like sad things happen in life. And so you learn about those. Anyway, I'm, it's really taken me by surprise because I just thought it was going to be a much more simple story, I think, than it has turned out to be. And I read the other two books by J. Ryan Stradell and enjoyed them quite a bit. They're Kitchens of the Great Midwest and Mm -hmm. The Lager Queen of Minnesota. And I really liked them. But I feel like there's something extra special about this book. And I really feel if you haven't read his books before, he really captures Midwestern people and the atmosphere and sort of the perspective that Midwesterners have. And... I don't really know many other current authors that are doing that. And so it feels mm-hmm. special in that way as well. So that is Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club by J. Ryan Stradell. Yeah, that one's really high on my list right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... I don't know. It's just it, it's just so different from what I expected. And I always love that. <laughs> I really love mm-hmm. yeah, that when a book a takes feeling. me by surprise and I don't feel like... I know everything about it before picking it up. Um, and, right. and that was sort of how I felt about this book. Okay, let's go back and list off the books that we talked about today. Um, okay, I talked about Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, Monster by Walter Dean Myers, and Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. And what I'm reading this week is Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies by Heather Fawcett. And I talked about Rock, Paper, Scissors by Alice Feeney. Until You by Judith McNaught, but really all Judith McNaught books. (laughs) (laughs) River Sing Me Home by Eleanor Shearer. And what I was reading this week is Saturday Night at the Lakeside Supper Club by J. Ryan Stradell. So if you'd like to get in touch with us to tell us about the books that you couldn't put down, we would love to hear that. I would love to hear recommendations. That would be so fun. Uh, So please, 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 you can reach out to us by email at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on your podcast provider of choice. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading. Happy reading.